Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Hey, I'm back with a man who continues to get snubbed by the Academy. Please give him, give him an Oscar nomination already. It's my co-host, uh, Archie Seal. How you doing? Yeah, I'm looking for one of those out here. Can you snag one? <laughs> or do I have to go get a billboard like a lot of people do these days? Hey, three billboards last year. Remember, that was a movie. So maybe I should try that. Boy, you know who uh, deserves an Oscar for basketball right now? It's uh, James Harden and... Oh, my goodness. Let's just go over some of his numbers, RG. He's averaging 36 points per game. If he keeps this up, he'd rank seventh all time. Of the six seasons better than Harden's, a guy named Will Chamberlain has five, and the other guy, some guy named Michael Jordan. RG, I'll throw out a couple of my other favorite stats. These are for the Harden haters. If you subtract every free throw made from every player in the NBA this year, James Harden included, Harden would still lead the NBA in scoring. And if you pretend like the three-point line didn't exist and every three was made uh, just like a two, it was counted just like a two-point shot by every player in the NBA, James Harden, again, would still lead the league in scoring. He's averaging 52 over his last five games. 52 points, Archie, over his last five games. He's a one-man gang, isn't he? He's pretty much the S on the chest, Superman. I think you were taking some of that from that Ringer article, correct, that was uh, going over the five points about amazing points about Harden Streak. If, if you haven't seen that, people should check it out. But, yeah, I mean, the guy has just been incredible. And like you said, when, you, when you're up there with, you know, Michael Jordan and, and Wilt Chamberlain and guys like that, you're in pretty rarefied air. You're in special company. You know, it's like if you're a band and, you know, you, you're up there with the Beatles and Elvis and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, we're doing this uh, the day after the Knicks game. And just uh, a word on what happened with P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon. I know everybody was just killing P.J. Tucker on Twitter, but... Eric Gordon, when he inbounds the ball, RG, this is it's a little frustration that I have with Eric Gordon. Uh, this guy, I love his game on the court. You know, nothing against uh, Eric Gordon personally, but he just, his temper on the court sometimes is way too out of control. And, you know, every time he gets touched, he's like throwing his arms up. I'm surprised the refs give him as many calls as they do because if I was a ref, I, I would be frustrated. But in that moment where he throws the ball into P.J. Tucker, you know, at that point, he throws his arms up and he starts walking away from the play because he sees P.J. Tucker is not is not going to pick up the ball. He needs to get over there. You know, you either it's the end of the game. Grab the ball so they don't get the easy two or at least run over there and try to strip the ball from the player before he gets the layup. Because if you do that, I mean, you, you know, you, you might save a point if he even if you get foul him, he's you know, maybe it's a he misses one of the free throws, but it's a three, a three point game at that point, And you just you let him get a layup. And, you know, Eric Gordon frustrates me all the time because he just he's like always throwing his arms up like, come on, dude, like that's you got you got to just, you know, play the game. I don't know. I didn't see it that way. I mean, I, I mean, I think I look at it more as like P.J. Uh, Tucker having a brain cramp at that moment and I think everybody thought the same thing like what the heck just happened there like with Eric Gordon that was like I mean how could it you know you throw the ball in there to just like bounce 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 in it you know and, and then he doesn't get it and then of course the Knicks get it and you know make it a a one-point game right there it just it was it was it was just nutty and so I think that he just kind of expressed the the frustration there just total I mean, it was almost as, it was astonishing. I couldn't believe that it kind of happened when, you know, just watching it myself and probably you and everybody else had the same reaction. I mean, he was just being natural human reaction. And I, you know, I, 
I, I, I look at it more like, you know, Eric Gordon wasn't trying to show up a teammate. I'm sure he has a, you know, good relationship with PJ Tucker. The Rockets seem like a close knit group. I'm not inside the locker room. I don't know, but it just seems that way to me. So it was just more, I think that when you have that major blunder, I mean, that's going to be on what Shaquille's blooper reel there. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, Shaq did a fool. Yeah, exactly. Shaq and the fool. So it's, you know, I, it was just one of those things that, uh, I mean, especially at that late in the game, I just think that, you know, PJ Tucker just must've just mind been in space. Just that moment thought that, Hey, it was Nick's ball or something. Cause you know, you, how can you just watch the ball there? You know, and inbounds and stuff like that. And yeah, after he does it. So I, I don't know. It was just one of those strange things. And I hate to take away emotion from a player and especially, Hey, if he has that kind of emotion, keep it bottled in there because just a few seconds later, he made the key shot of the game. I mean, James Harden scores 61 points that game, but if Eric Gordon doesn't make that clutch shot, uh, that clutch three, the Rockets end up losing and it's an asterisk where, you know, Harden scores all these points at Madison Square Garden and a Rockets loss. So you have to give credit where credit's due too. And Eric Gordon continually comes up in the clutch uh, and that's a, a component of, of who he is as well as an NBA player. Yeah, I'm not taking away any of the blame from P.J. Tucker. I'm just... You know, and he's looking straight at Eric Gordon, so I don't know what what he was thinking. He sees Gordon go out, grab the ball, throw. It. I I I have no idea what was going through PJ Tucker's mind, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, has there been any media report after the game about what happened? Or- no, nah, I haven't seen anything from PJ. Tucker. I mean, Dan Tony said PJ is usually the one that inbounds the ball. If he's the one that inbounds the ball, you would still think he would grab it and go out of bounds if he thought that for some reason Eric Gordon was I. Yeah, I can't figure it out, but in real time, I've watched it over and over again. Gordon is yelling at him to pick up the ball, and he he realizes he's not going to pick up the ball, and he just starts walking away and throwing his arms up in the air. And it's like, it just that part I just didn't get where he's like just, you know, doing that. But um, one thing we haven't got to yet, RG, uh, because uh, it's been about a week since we've talked, but uh, this Daniel House mess, and I I want to bring that up because when House went to the G League in this salary mess. He was third on the Rockets and plus minus behind James Harden and Gerald Green. He was a better offensive player than Trevor Ariza, I thought, last year. Better shooter, better finisher at the rim. Uh, he was in Ariza's class on the defensive end. So, you know, it to me, it was like, well, we finally got the Trevor Ariza that we've been looking for. But then he's gone, and, and RG, this is one of those situations, I feel like we need a good mediator to bring his agent and Daryl Morey to the table. You know, I was thinking, who can we get? Maybe Shane Battier. You know, he got an ex-Rocket player. He's reasonable. He's thoughtful. I think he can bring the two sides to the table and garner some respect. You know, this is, this is like a – I'm like looking for the political – uh, guy to be our mediator between those. Yeah, it's two. almost like the standoff you were talking about, like between the president and Capitol Hill. I mean, it's really it was it's really kind of a strange thing. I thought Jonathan Fagan really did an excellent job of kind of people haven't seen that. Go and read that link as well on Daniel House and 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 just kind of the situation with the Rockets. The Rockets really offered they first offered him they offered him a multi year deal. And you have to remember that let's let's take this in perspective. You know, Daniel House before this he had been released by the Golden State Warriors and also what at Phoenix as well too. Uh he had been released uh, you know, before the season even started, comes with the Rockets. They have him on a two-way contract. He has success in this system, you know. And he, I mean, he's a like you said, he's a great fit for the system. Hits the three pointers, plays the, the the defense, the three and D. And so the Rockets, you know, uh, but they remember they released him earlier in in this, uh, what was it in, in late November, early December. They released him when they signed Gary Clark to that contract. 
and nobody claimed him then. Okay, nobody claimed Daniel House then. So in that period of time, he's gotten to be a better player than the Rockets starting lineup. He's having a great NBA season, like you mentioned. But then the Rockets offered him a multi-year, three-year deal that was partially non-guaranteed. Then they upped that to a guaranteed offer. Well, if you're an NBA player, I can understand Daniel House. Yeah, I'm having this great I want to be a restricted free agent. I could potentially get more money. But face it, if the Rockets convert it to a one-year deal, which they have the right to do still. They could convert to a one-year NBA deal. They aren't going to take out of the, you know, they aren't going to give them the max dollars that they have for, you know, the, out of the, what is it, the... Uh, Maybe from the mid-level, I don't know what you're talking about. The mid-level, I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. So they didn't want to use all of that money for when converting a one-year deal and also from in the future too, taking it out of that money, you know, to give him a larger contract. So essentially, if they give him the one-year deal right now, to my understanding of things, it... And then they, he becomes a restricted free agent. He's going to be gone because somebody else potentially offers him a bigger contract and the Rockets can only offer so much. You know, so it gets back to the contractual demands. It gets back to – but it, to me, the Rockets offering a multi-year deal and then he com- becomes a free agent in three years. I mean kind of what the Gary Clark thing. I mean I can understand where he wants to have that that option and, and be a restricted free agent and go out and the Rockets can still match. But face it, if some team gives him a big deal it's, this offseason like what happened with Luke Mabuamutai or – whatever, then the Rockets lose him. So they develop him and then he's gone. And then you don't have him. And then he goes and plays well for some other team. Yeah, I guess where I'm a little frustrated with the Rockets is, you know, they screwed everything up, you know, over the offseason. I'm going to get into that in just a second. But you, you finally found somebody that can help you this year. And to me, the Rockets need to just worry about this. You know, figure it out this year. Don't screw up the whole year because of the Daniel House situation. And what's going to happen is Daniel House is not going to be on the team the rest of the year. And this is, that's exactly the kind of guy that the Rockets are going to have to be looking for, you know, in the trade market or wh- however they're going to have to pick him up. Let's figure out this year and worry, you know. Well, but here's, here's the thing about it. Here's the thing about it. Maybe they're looking at that, but they're, the Rockets are looking at it. Okay, let's see what we could Because they can always convert him to the one-year NBA deal, correct? Right. They can always do that. They can always convert him from the two-way to the one-year. Then he becomes a restricted free agent. Then he potentially leaves. So they always have that option. So maybe they're right now trying to look, evaluate trade offers, get to the trading deadline. If they don't acquire somebody that could take his place – because if they if they leave him on the two-way contract, he can come up March 25th, but he's not eligible for the playoffs. So, I mean, he's pretty much gone for the season if they keep him down or they don't convert him to a one-year NBA deal. So maybe they're looking to see who potentially through buyouts, through trades, can we upgrade on that position? And then we can kind of put him in a box where he has to decide on this. And then we can, you know, uh, or, you know, that's basically, I think, what the Rockets are looking at right now. Correct? Yeah. From what I understand, I mean, it's so can, it's so uh, convoluted and confusing, but yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's just it's it's for us. Like I said, I, I just you know just get, get them in the fold this year. But but let me ask you this. Let me ask you this quick quick question. Would you be okay with signing like just converting his his deal to a one year NBA deal from the two way deal that he currently has to a one year deal, so he's on the roster rest of the season in the starting lineup, but you lose him next year. Would you be okay with that? Or would you and then hey, solve this problem, get somebody else this offseason? Or do you want to are you looking more like this is a nice piece. This is a guy that fits in with Harden, have want to be able to make sure that the Rockets can come to some kind of agreement that's a multi year deal, that he stays a Rocket. Yeah, I just thought Daryl thought these guys are guys that you can find from year to year. And I mean I just thought that was his philosophy. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, 
I, I'm trying to figure out why Daryl's so worried about him. All of a sudden, he's going to be be a superstar. So, no, he's he's a role player, and those guys are usually the guys that Daryl feels like you can find that guy. That's why you know he just doesn't worry about it. He worries about the superstar. That's always been Daryl's philosophy. I don't know why he's, it's changed with uh, this whole Daniel House and the contract situation. Well, part of it they also say too is that you know the Rockets spent all this time developing him, making him into this player, making him into this desirable commodity around the NBA where he can go out and get free agent dollars, and yet he might just you know walk when and the Rockets have built him up to this player this level, and you know instead of signing like a you know a multi year deal, which they think is a fair deal, giving him guaranteed money. So I mean that. That's where the standoff is. Yeah, and this goes back, the whole thing kind of goes back to what the Rockets did this offseason. And I need to talk about wasted roster spots because my main beef with Daryl Morey this offseason had to do with the Rockets just wasting these spots that, you know, when you've got injuries, it's huge. You know, it was a a gross miscalculation by Daryl because you got Brandon Knight, who they knew was going to take a while to come back from injury, if at all. Marquise Chris, who you knew stunk and should never be in anybody's rotation. Michael Carter-Williams, who couldn't shoot. You knew he wouldn't fit in with with this system. I mean, at least it seemed obvious to everybody except for Daryl. I don't know what the deal was with him. You got Gary Clark and Isaiah Hartenstein, who you knew would be projects at best. I mean, Gary Clark was a two-way guy to start the year. But you, you go back to the Rhino trade and the mellow signing. And it wasn't as much to me. I'm not upset about Daryl as far as any of the economics of any of this stuff. It wasn't about money getting thrown away. It's about the loss of the roster spots, which kill a team when you've got injury risks like Chris Paul, Nene and Eric Gordon. And those three guys, we we know they're going to get hurt. Hey, let me ask you this. If uh, you had to do it all over again with the Brandon Knight and uh, Marquis Chris trade for, for Brian Anderson and wanting to uh, unload those, uh, you know, of course, those last years of his contract, would you do it again? I really don't know if, if I would. If I did it, though, I, I feel like I would turn it around quicker or I would have done other things with some of the other roster spots and, and brought guys in that I knew could get into the rotation, not these rookies and undrafted free. I just don't get what he was in Michael Carter Williams. I mean, ugh. I, I definitely agree with you there. I think part of it was when they lost, look, they kind of maybe, Hey, the Rockets lost out on Trevor Reza when he left to go sign with the Suns and since been traded to the, to the wizards. And then of course the Luke Mabumute, they thought they would be able to bring him back potentially. Then he goes and signs with the Clippers. So then you, you, you're left with, okay, where do we go for three and D we, Oh, this is the year we go out and get Carmelo Anthony. What we had talked about last year. Hey, this is going to work out this time. It's going to, it's going to be the thing. And, and of course he was a bust. He, he didn't even what last 15 games into the season, you know? So, and then he's gone. It's like a, a show that we're all excited about coming on TV and it's canceled after three episodes, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, Carmelo uh, was gone. And, but like you said, you made a good point. I mean, a lot of the r- other roster spots that you have there with Michael, you know, Carter, they took a flyer on him because he could be a three and D guy, but just was not very good. Uh, put it bluntly. And then you had like, yeah, Marky Chris and, and Brandon Knight who can't even play when you acquire him he's still coming off still isn't the same player post-injury don't know if he ever will be you know so you have all these kind of and then you don't have the flexibility with roster spots which is that's what you're talking about so I think yeah going into the future I think Daryl Morey will probably learn from this experience he's a very smart GM and you know figure out what to do moving forward and Again, it gets all gets back to James Harden. If he wasn't Superman and playing so well right now, I mean, the Rockets would be sinking. We, we, you know, I mean, this. I mean, look at all the mistakes that have happened. The things that have gone wrong. 
And uh, I guess the bright spot is that James Harden's been sensational. We're looking at a guy, you know, playing his best basketball, the the best He's the best player in the NBA. He won the MVP last season. He's a you know MVP probable one this season. I mean, this is something we haven't seen since the days of like uh, you know Akeem Olajuwon really in this city. Uh, and even then, he was second to you know Michael Jordan at that time. So you look at like right now, what Harden's doing is just pretty incredible. And and he will finally be getting back you know Chris Paul, Clint Capella. So I mean, hopefully you know the the Rockets will be a better team. They just got to be able to to get on by without the other players to help Harden. Yeah, let's go to some of the, just the trade market because that that's coming up really quickly. Uh, it's not a great year for making deals because there aren't a ton of teams who are selling. And if they are like Memphis with Gasol and Conley, they aren't selling what you want. Uh, in the Western Conference besides Memphis, and just like I'm going to go through this really quickly, only Phoenix has given up on this season. I didn't see anything on their roster that was interesting. In the East, the Cavs have J.R. Smith. His awful contract, no thanks, no thanks. The, the Knicks have Tim Hardaway. Another awful contract, uh, no thanks. The Bulls have Robin Lopez. He probably just gets bought out. There's not many veterans that you want over there. The Wizards uh, with Otto Porter's awful contract. Uh, you know, again, <laughs> none of these, it seems like Daryl would be interested. Maybe you could sneak Markeith Morris out of town. You know, that's somebody that I might look at or hope that Ariza gets bought out. Uh, that's maybe something that's a possibility that the Pistons, you know, they've got a bunch of junk. Most Rockets fans look at the big prize as the Hawks can't more, but RG, I've got a sneaky trade and Daryl loves those like little sneaky trades. You mean like Kyle Lowry? <laughs> exactly. Like a Kyle Lowry. You, you disagree with anybody that I brought up? Or? No, I mean, because of what you said there, unless they're going to be buyouts, like with a Trevor Ariza, if he would even come back to Houston or, you know, I don't know, he might go someplace else or who knows. I mean, he could go to Golden State or Los Angeles, too. So, I mean, there was d different options there. And Kent Bazemore, I, I, I think it's, you know, the future contract is what the problem is right there or else he'd be somebody the Rockets want because he shoots the three well and, of course, wing defender. But, yeah, pretty much all the guys that you mentioned It'd be difficult because of either the contract situation or, you know, just the fact that they might get bought out there and then, you know, become potential free agents. The Rockets could look at then. Yeah, I feel like if they could have got Kent Bazemore for the Brandon Knight contract and, and a first round pick or something, I, it seems like that deal would have been done. But here's my deal. The Rockets uh, uh, trade with Orlando for Terrence Ross and Jonathan Simmons, the two athletic wings. Uh, you trade them for Brandon Knight or the contract, as I like to call him, Marquise Chris, James Ennis, and this year's first round pick. Uh, Ross is a 37% career three-point shooter, 38% for this year. He's an expiring. Uh, Jonathan Simmons has one more year after this where he can make $5.7 Even though he's not a good shooter, uh, he showed in the playoffs with the Spurs he can be an elite defender, and that's totally different from what I saw from Michael Carter Williams, kind of an overrated defender, but Jonathan Simmons, he's shown some playoff ability, but he gives you another body, another athletic guy. He gave Harden issues a couple of years ago for sure against, you know, when the Rockets were playing the Spurs and that deal also makes room for a buyout candidate on the roster. Cause you know, it's a three for two. So you're, you're, and you're also giving an extra 3 million to the magic, which drops the luxury tax money initially and saves money if they do add a buyout player to the roster. So on a lot of different levels, RG, I think it could work. I, I don't know if Orlando 
would go for it. But basically, they're, they're probably going to lose Terrence Ross at the end of the year, most likely. Jonathan Simmons, I don't know what the point of having him on the roster necessarily is. And it gives them that first round pick. See, that's that's where you lost me right there. I just I unless you're trading the first round pick for somebody who's a really good NBA player. I just look, the Rockets have been trading draft picks year after year. And I know that they had the four first round picks for Jimmy Butler. But in that case, you'd be getting Jimmy Butler and signing him long term. I mean, part of the problem with the Rockets here, I mean, you've seen it. They've needed guys like Gary Clark and Daniel House and guy, guys like that young uh, athletic talents to to uh, come in and kind of because the Rockets are getting a little bit older on the roster. You're still going to need to have that ability to, I think, to if you want to go out and get a great player to have those first round draft picks. So uh, I, I don't think that Maury is going to dangle a first round pick unless there's somebody that they really want that can be, a you know, a, a really quality rotation piece. And what you're saying right there, uh, especially with one expiring contract, you might potentially walk and the other just being a, a defender you know, Simmons, who doesn't shoot as well. I just don't see them throwing a... a but a first-round pick is is usually just a, you know, a typical first-round pick's a role player, and, and you're you're getting a role player back. I, I don't know if... Does Daryl value first late round, his, these late first-round picks all that much? Really? First-round picks, though, have value around the NBA. I haven't looked at this draft, uh, what's upcoming, other than, you know, Zion, of course, something like, somebody like that. But it's it's one of the... I, I thought it was supposed to be one of the deeper drafts. Uh, from what I understand, it's not a, a good draft, really. But still, you can find players that come out of the second, first, or the late first, second round. You know, we've seen that over the years. Even Ka- Ka- Kawhi Leonard, you know, with the Spurs drafting him late in the first round. Uh, you know, I mean, I know not everybody coming out of there is going to be somebody who's an MVP type player, but still you can still find some value in the draft. And we've seen that with Daryl Morey over the years. I I'm just saying me personally, if I'm going to be trading or attaching that first round pick, at least it was maybe justifiable if you're getting back Jimmy Butler, who who's an all-star caliber player. Yeah. But to me, the thing is you're getting rid of Brandon Knight's contract and that's why you're giving them the first round pick. That's the main reason you got him for next year. It opens up your books. Yeah, after next season, it'll open up your books, and that can be expiring contract and all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it would have to be, again, to, to, to deal away the first-round pick. You have to be something a lot more enticing. I mean, you're talking about, like, even Kent Bazemore. I could see that the Rockets went after him in free agency. He's he's a good three-point shooter. He's somebody that could help help the team out, you know, immensely in that you know, that's kind of what they're seeking to add still, especially after the whole house fiasco that we talked about. But I, I just don't see them adding, you know, the, the first round pick there unless it's somebody that, you know, could potentially be, you know, after Harden, CP3 and Clint Capella, somebody that and even Gordon, somebody in that ilk. Uh, Jimmy Butler would have been their what, second, third best player once they acquired him. Well, wh- wh- we haven't even talked about one of the things that the players that they added this past week on a buyout, Kenneth Fareed. What did you think of that? I mean, as somebody who comes in and uh, yeah, with Clint Capella out right now, I mean, he's a he's a big man and he, he adds something the Rockets need. It's good for for the maybe 10 to 12 minutes a game right now, unfortunately, with without Capella, it, it's not good. I mean, Kenneth Fareed is not, unfortunately, a good defensive player. For some reason, he's not as athletic as he is. He should be a better defensive player. Uh, you know, he's he's a good guy with energy, uh, su- supposed to get you some rebounds, uh, you know, for his career. He's always been in double digits in his per 36, which is good uh, rebounding rate. But, you know, it, I, I just, to me, he's not a guy that, uh, you go, okay, with Clint Capella out, you know, he's going to be anywhere close to, you know, he's kind of like 
you know, half or three fourths of Clint Capella, but with Nene and, you know, I, you know, I guess he can play like once a week or something now. I don't know what the deal is, but like at least hey, he could give you some minutes and give you a little bit of size. He's there. basically a Nene substitute. Yeah, that's, he's kind of, he's even got the, the hair of Nene. Sometimes I, it looks, I'm like, is that Nene or is that Brandon Knight? And then you see him jump and you're like, oh wait, that, that's actually, uh, I mean, I, Brandon Knight for Kenneth Reed. But it's like, oh, no, that's Kenneth Fareed. He's jumping like four feet above the rim. That's not Nate anymore. <laughs> but, uh, hey, uh, we, we still got to talk about the NFL RG. And I was watching the conference championship th- this weekend. First of all, I feel like I need to apologize to the Saints and Chiefs because I came into the day rooting for both teams, uh, meaning RG. They, they really had no chance. You know, once I decided that those were my two teams I was rooting for, it was over with. <laughs> If you're going to say you're the bad luck charm, but I don't know. I mean, that's like, Hey, what's the worst back-to-back NFL punches to the gut? I'm going to give you the, my three. This is consecutive years in the playoffs. Uh, number one, uh, I've got, uh, this is not in any sort of order, but number one, Cleveland Browns in 86 and 87, you got the drive and then you got the fumble, you know, the, the Ernest Biner fumble. Everybody remembers that the John Elway drive. Number two on the list, of course, the Saints. Last year and this year, you got the Minnesota Miracle and then the Bird Box refs. And then uh, you got the number three on the list. Hey, we, we can't forget the Oilers back in 92, 93. They blew the 21 to 6 lead to the Broncos and the 35 lead to the Bills. What's what's number one on that list? Well, I, st- I, would, I would put the Saints uh, because, I mean, A, to lose on a Hail Mary. I mean, you remember losing on a Hail Mary watching the Texans during the regular season when it was that Hail Mary to the Jacksonville game that Gus Johnson you know went berserk about. But, I mean, that was the last play. That was all Case Keenan really had right there, just unloaded along. I mean, all you got to do is, like, be guarding the end zone, tackle the guy before that, and you advance and you win that playoff game. So that that's one. And then you're you're – you literally get to the Super Bowl if not for that 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 hit on you know it was everybody knows it was a horrible call horrendous the NF, the NFL is probably going to end up changing their rules because of it i mean that happens the game's essentially over probably a 98 99% chance that the Saints advance and go to the Super Bowl you know game over pretty much to me those are two calls that basically said you know Hey, you're not advancing. You're gone. I do remember the as far as the, you know, the drive in Cleveland and all of that. And the, that was tough. But I mean, you were going up against Elway. You had your defense on the field. That was more. That wasn't the fault of a ref. That was Cleveland just collapsing there at the very end of the game. It wasn't a fluke, right? It wasn't a fluke. And both of those. The reason why I think the Saints, you know, I mean, God bless New Orleans and everything like that. But those were just two fluke plays that basically removed you from the playoffs and said, boom. And the Oilers, too. I mean, that was a as much as we want to malign. The Oilers were on the field. They had a 35 to three lead. They just completely their defense, you know, cratered with Jim Eddie's defense that day was just terrible. They weren't able to stop, you know, Frank Reich. And then the offense sputtered because of the run and shoot and not being able to run the ball and kill the clock. I mean, we all know about this, but at least. It was kind of in your own hands. It wasn't taken away from you by some referee or some just crazy, you know, 
one one off play that you're like shaking your head afterwards about. So I'm happy. The one thing I will say is I'm happy that the Saints did win in 2009 and Drew Brees has a, a championship because we know in Houston we can always look back on like, you know, the Rockets championships in 94, 95. Now with the Astros in 2017. Yeah, even the, the championships never get old. At least New Orleans has that, but they should have potentially even more. And that's what makes it just so gut wrenching. And just for drama purposes, it would have been a great Super Bowl to have. Drew Brees versus, uh, you know, Tom Brady, these two old great quarterbacks, two of the best quarterbacks of all time. Instead, uh, you know, it's going to be the Rams or the Patriots. But that's no way to knock the Rams either, because, uh, hey, I'm out here in Los Angeles. I've watched the Rams all season long. They are a great football team. They are deserving of being there as well, too, because, I mean, look, they were one of the four best teams in the NFL. They 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 hung in that game. They put themselves in a position to win. Uh, they had to kick the 57-51 yard field goals. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, they had to go into a, a place that you know a lot of teams don't win at. So, I mean, the Rams are a deserving Super Bowl team. They they and they are a very good team, and they can win the Super Bowl now. Uh, you know, because they have a very complete, well-rounded team. They're well coached, and they have a lot of great players. So, uh, again, like uh, I think the Los Angeles Rams because of what happened, also aren't getting the credit that they deserve. Yeah, you're speaking like a Los Angelino right now, <laughs> of course. No, of, co- of course they're deserving and everything like that. But, I mean, I, I think the thing that uh, I wanted to go back to was just the, you know, before we move on to the to the Super Bowl or anything, and I, I, we can talk about that maybe next week, but, you know, I, I just, the, the idea that you go ahead and change the rules and like all of a sudden we're going to review penalties. I, I just don't think that would work. And everybody's like, Oh, oh well, no, no, no way. Yeah. You, you, you start reviewing penalties and it's like, okay, now we got to review, you know, they said there was a holding penalty on the offensive line. And then I, and I heard, Oh, we just review pass interference penalties. Or we just do this in the last four. It just doesn't work. You can't do that. It, it starts to get stupid. I mean, if you want to correct it, Archie, Pay the pay the officials like full time and, and and do it right. You know, you billion dollar owners and they're nickel and dime officials, and then they're wondering why. You know, I mean, if if I'm the Saints owner, you go in the, the rest of the owners and like, come on, guys. You know, we got to start paying the officials because how how could you not see that that was two penalties on one play? It wasn't just a pass interference. It was a helmet to helmet, and I saw both of them watching on TV in real time. The guy standing there right in front of it misses. I don't get. I just. It's amazing. I mean, you just said it right there. Just a horrible call. I mean, there were two penalties on that play, and uh, I mean, everybody saw it. Nobody could believe that. Not a single flag was thrown there, you know, so but how they move going forward, what they decide to do, that's going to be up to the NFL. But definitely there's going to be some kind of reaction to this. There's going to be something done, just like what happened with the tuck rule way back many years ago. with Tom Brady, when he got into his first Super Bowl, pay the officials, man, that's that's the deal. Well, good. Good for Wade Phillips. He's back in the in the Super Bowl. We love Wade. Son of bum. Tom Brady, 13 conference championship game appearances, nine Super Bowl appearances. RG, I hate to bring this up, but NFL teams in Houston have never been to a Super Bowl. They've got two conference championship game appearances, none of them since 1980. Ugh. 
Ugh. <laughs> oh, God. You know, the Patriots just make this. That's why they're such a great, great team. I mean, they just make this look so easy. I mean, year after year. I mean, this was a year that everybody thought, well, hey, the New England Patriots aren't as good. Remember, even the Texans. Oh, well, the Texans should hold down the fort here and hold on to the two seed and, you know, get the bye. And, of course, lose to the Philadelphia Eagles, which opens the door for the Patriots to come in there and get the home field. But it doesn't matter. I mean, they always find a way. They do it. It's Tom Brady. He seems to get better like a fine wine, gets better with age and he's still I, I mean you know down late to the Chiefs the Chiefs take the lead and then all of a sudden he engineers a drive uh, to to you know score a TD late in the fourth to take the lead again I mean it was that, that was just pretty incredible and then to go into the overtime and march down the field the Chiefs don't even get a chance to, to have the ball yeah he converted three third and tens I think in that drive right and I, I for people that say you know I mean I understand with college and you put it on uh, what is a 25 yard line and you have both t- teams take their shots at the end zone uh, but for the NFL you know I like how they do it now I didn't like it when it was the three points and you know you could have a great field goal kicker like a Greg Zerline, for instance, what happened with, uh, you know, him there or Adam Vinatieri or whomever, right? And, you know, you get the coin flip and you make two plays and you're out at the 40-yard line and you kick a field goal and you win the game, a 57-yard field goal and you win the game. That that seems, I like it now where they give, if you only make a field goal, you have to, you know, have the other team, you know, get the ball too and they can go down and get a touchdown and win it. But if you can't on like what Tom Brady was able to do in Kansas City, march up, you know, that the field, find the end zone there. You can't stop him at any point. You can't get, you know, a fourth down, a, you know, even the 11-yard line where they're forced to kick a field goal. I mean, that's, you know, maybe you don't deserve to win that game. And, you know, they just march down and score a touchdown. Nobody was complaining when the Saints uh, and the and the Rams played in overtime and the Saints, you know, turned the ball over and then the Rams kick kick a field goal. Right, because both teams had a chance to have the ball in that case. But, I mean, there was a turnover. And then, you know, so, I mean, at least the, the Saints had a chance there. And then, you know, the defense of the Rams, it was able to make a big play. Now, if Kansas City's defense does something, if they, you know, intercept the ball and get it and then, you know, go ahead and, you know, score. And we knew that all season. That was their Achilles heel was the defense. So there you go. And I was like you, I was rooting for, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs to win that game. I'd like to see somebody else there. But again, I can't looking at what New England was able to do again under Belichick and and, and also watching Tom Brady. I mean, it, they really are. The, they're the New York Yankees. They're, you know, uh, the, the the Los Angeles Lakers, Manchester United, whoever, whatever kind of analogy you want to make. I mean, when the New England Patriots are there, I mean, it just makes things that much more exciting to watch. So even if you, you're either going to hate them or you're going to love them. So and and they draw and, and there. So for this Super Bowl, I mean, it. I, I think people are just going to be interested to watch the game and, and see that. And, you know, you're, you're going to be pulling one way or another. But definitely they're a franchise and a fan base and an organization that that, you know, definitely draws attention. Yeah. And I hate them and I don't want to see them. And it's not more interesting to me because Brady's there. I would have much rather seen Patrick Mahomes, who's to me the most exciting player in the NFL right now in the play in the uh, Super Bowl. And the, the other thing is, I mean, I, I just I, I'm not a big fan of either one of these because uh, nothing against the Rams players necessarily, although, you know, Nagamagansu is not the nicest guy in the world, it seems like. And Akeem Tlaib's got a little bit of a history. So there's guys on the team that are not, that seems like not the greatest guy. But it's really, to me, that I call this Super Bowl the traitor versus the cheater. The cheater, of course, uh, 
Belichick and I still go back to the stuff from the early 2000s why I hate that guy and then the the traitor is is Stan I mean Kroenke is you know he was a guy that is a Missouri guy and basically ran the team into the ground in St. Louis and then you know decides you know the whole the whole setup was to move him to Los Angeles which you know I get it you know I understand that the fact that they weren't uh you know in St. Louis to begin with and they were in Los Angeles and you know that was crappy to begin with but you know the way Kroenke handled the whole thing and the what he what he did to Missouri I just thought was was poor but it you know well hey well hey I want to just respond to that because you opened up that can of worms and I I look I hate it when franchises move from cities. We all know that. We lost Houston Oilers, Bud Adams, but it was the same type of thing. Bud Adams took his team and he moved to Tennessee. But way back in 1996, Georgia Frontier, I mean, she had been in California years with the L.A. Like you said, the Los Angeles man been in L.A. for over 40 years or whatever. So, I mean, it, it and she decided, OK, I'm, I'm taking the team to St. Louis. I mean, it. I know St. Louis won a cup, uh, went to a couple of Super Bowls there and had the organization and everything. But at the end of the day, you know, there came a time, you know, where they had to do something. And you also have to blame the NFL here, too, because the NFL approves the moves. The NFL wanted a team in Los Angeles. And face it, it's a better business move for Stan Kroenke to have a franchise in Los Angeles than one in St. Louis. So it could have been the NFL saying to the Chargers, you move over to St. Louis, you know, if there's a stadium here. They didn't. So it's also partially on the NFL how they've organized all of these things whether it's San Diego, whether it's Oakland, whether it's Las Vegas, whether it's St. Louis, you know, I mean, it, that hasn't been handled well either. So, I mean, it's there's 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 blame to go around. And, uh, you know, as far as the Los Angeles, I think the Rams, what what's really kind of sad out here is that with the Rams or in California with Los Angeles is that the Chargers are kind of a, a step sibling out here. They're just, you know, it's basically going to be the Rams, especially when that new stadium opens. And even currently, the Rams, I mean, they're still trying to gain a, a foothold. This Super Bowl definitely will help. But, I mean, in Los Angeles, you're talking about the Lakers. You're talking about the Dodgers. You're talking about USC football. You're talking about UCLA football. You know, you're talking about all these other things, even the L.A. Kings. You know, it's just like the Rams, until that new stadium opens, until kind of, you know, maybe there's uh, other kind of entertainment that they build around the stadium, the new stadium in Inglewood. I, I it's it's still going to be a work in progress, but definitely the visibility from the Super Bowl. This is going to vault the Rams, but I, it's also going to make things with the Chargers a little bit different and, and, and awkward, too, because, I mean, that's a team that's, you know, already, again, playing down in Carson and, and not most people in L.A., you know, some people don't even realize that there are two football teams out here, you know. So it's like uh, with the Rams going to the Super Bowl now, that's only going to increase their stature. And they're the main tenant in that building at Stan Kroenke Stadium. So just kind of interesting how that all plays out. And so I'm sure that there'll be some people in Saint in, in New Orleans, too, who won't want to see the Rams win because that should have been the Saints Super Bowl. And yet a lot of people, like you said, don't like the New England Patriots. So there's going to be a lot of different feelings with this Super Bowl. I guess what we can always say is that at least when the Patriots are in the game, and hopefully this continues to be the case again this year, it's always a close, great game. So that's what we want to see. We want to see a close, great game, not a blowout. Yeah, and back to what you were saying, you know, I, just, I have a lot of connections in St. Louis, you know, sport, not just sports fans, but you know, sports media. So there's, it's, it, there's a lot more to Kroenke and the Rams and how they were done there. And it's, it's, you know, I have friends that were season ticket holders as well. So uh, Texans news, Deshaun Watson heading to the pro bowl. 
big week for him heading to the Pro Bowl, and he's the Grand Marshal of the Houston Rodeo. So uh, a lot going on with Deshaun. The other under the story radar, though, is Chantrell Henderson, uh, the right tackle, signing a one-year $4.5 million deal. And, RG, I, I had no qualms with bringing back Chantrell, but what's the deal with this $4.5 million? I mean, he play, he's played nine games over his last three years. Who are they bidding against? Hey, the Texans are flush with some cash this offseason. So, hey, they, you know, free agents are going to be coming knocking on their door now. Yeah, yeah they've got cash. But, are, I mean, again, who are they bidding against? Are, are they are the Texans using prescription drug companies to set their prices? I mean, well, there's nobody that you're bidding against for Chantrell Henderson. I mean, nobody's got to be running out. Like, I want to get the guy that has played nine games over the last three years and you know, we don't. He's not even. You know, when he's played, he's been nothing great. I just uh, the Texans—they've always got me perplexed and confused and whatever. I, I don't know. I like the fact that Chantrell's coming back because I thought, you know, he looked okay and he looks. You know, I th- think he can like push people around, which is more than Kendall Lamb can do. So he can do something for your running game. And Kendall Lamb would oftentimes just get knocked back into the quarterback, even though, you know, he was able to keep the guy in front of him a little bit better than I thought he would be able to. But yeah, Chantrell Henderson, definitely an improvement. But can he stay healthy? Can he be out there? That's a whole other question. But you need bodies in camp. I just didn't think it was worth $4.5 million for a body. Pretty much all the NFL. We'll come back with the Super Bowl stuff next week. But uh, and also, well, we've got Astros and Hall of Fame stuff. Um, but we're going to save that for tomorrow. So stay with us. And don't forget, I got the uh, Kevin Bass and Enos Cabell combination of those uh, couple of interviews uh, from earlier this week. If you missed it, looking back on the 80s Astros. So go check that out. But Astros and Hall of Fame stuff tomorrow. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.